welcome to the latest edition on the Niners Nation Podcast Network. I'm Rob Stats Guerrera. Going to do this episode a little bit differently. Rather than you just listen to me ramble for 25 minutes, I thought we'd bring on a guest. Jeff Dini of Pro Football Focus covers the 49ers very heavily. Wanted to get his take on Jimmy Garoppolo, the offense, and how it is that George Kittle can't seem to get into the end zone as much as other elite tight ends in the league. We, we sort of cover the gamut with Jeff. So I want to get you right to that interview, and then I'll offer my thoughts on a couple of the bigger stories going into the weekend before we go. Very grateful to be joined on this Friday by Jeff Dini of Pro Football Focus. Follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Jeff. Thank you for your time today, sir. Thanks for having me. Okay, I feel like you can't do an interview about the 49ers if you don't mention Jimmy Garoppolo. So let's just jump right in. I couldn't tell from your tweets whether you're a Jimmy is great guy or a Jimmy stinks guy because I feel like those are the only two opinions you can have, but I don't know where you stand. Yeah, I'm kind of on the the Jimmy is pretty good guy with the ability to possibly be great. Um I think, you know, just looking at our grading, we had him 13th last year, which is, you know, slightly above average. Um, I think, you know, the Niners most of the time last year because their defense was so good, the running game was so good, they really didn't ask too much of him. There was a couple of games, like Arizona is one of them off the top of my head, where they, he did have to carry him to win the game. And so when they asked him, he's been able to do it most of the time. Um, you know, so this, the stats aren't there. You might see from like a Drew Brees or somebody else or a Matthew Stafford who's throwing the ball 50 times a game. But um, and yeah, I know everyone remembers last year, the, the pass to Sanders in the Super Bowl he missed, um, which ironically was, um, you know, on passes 20 yards or more last year, he actually had the best uh, completion percentage in the league. He didn't throw a lot of them because the more, you know, a lot of short passes in Kyle's offense and getting the ball in the receiver's hands and getting yards out for the catch. But um, he had the highest completion percentage in the league last year. So kind of ironic that the one play that could have uh, won the Super Bowl for him, he, he missed it. Um, I think, I mean, you know, last year was his first year as a full starter playing a full season. I know it was his sixth year in the league, um, his first full year in Kyle Shanahan's system. So I think I, I expect some improvement this year. I mean, I think so. We grade him 13th, you know, maybe he gets into the top 10 this year in our grading. Um, you know, you look at Matt Ryan took a huge leap forward his second year in Kyle Shanahan's system in, in Atlanta. Um, I think he gets a second year off the torn ACL. So I think physically there and just mentally with the knee, he's going to be better off. I know they've talked about he's not used to wearing the brace sometimes during practice. Um, and I think just, you know, hopefully things kind of slow down with him a little bit more now that he's got the second year in the offense. You know, the one I think thing you could see last year was he had a few interceptions where, you know, you didn't see the linebacker dropping back in coverage. And so, so maybe a stuff few. like a few. <laughs> I'm being generous here. Um, but maybe that's I am one of the things he can improve on if he kind of learns the offense better or gets – you know, things slow down. It's easier for him to read defense and things like that. So, I mean, the, the ability is there, I think. And, I mean, he's got the leadership qualities and everything. I think there's just, you know, cutting down some mistakes, maybe gaining some more experience. And, you know, he can take, a, you know, a little bit of a step up this year. I'm glad you went there because Kyle was sort of asked about that earlier this week. And he said, basically, Jimmy knows the system as well as he's going to know the system, which kind of surprised me because I feel like a lot of people – feel like you just said second year in he's going to be better but when Kyle said that it kind of made me wonder if maybe he thinks that that Jimmy is what he is and that's what he's going to get out of him yeah I know it's interesting I mean you know, he's been on the team one two three it's his fourth season with the team now so maybe you know Kyle's figuring out he's you know he at this point at least for mental reps I think he's had only you know, four seasons to learn the offense the physical actual reps 
not so much because he played five games the first year, you know, the, the ACL after a couple of games in the second year. Um, you know, I mean, I think just, you know, quarterbacks tend to kind of peak later in their, you know, early thirties and stuff. So, I mean, I, I expect him to get better. I mean, I, do I think he's going to be one of the top three quarterbacks in the league? Probably not. You know, if he gets to six through 10, I think that's definitely attainable. And I think that's good enough for him to win Super Bowl. I mean, they were one play away from his winning the Super Bowl with him last year, 13. I mean, you can go, you know, the third and whatever with Mahomes and four or five different options where if they made one play, they win that game. It wasn't just a Garoppolo throw at the end. But um, I mean, basically what I'm saying, they were one inch from winning a Super Bowl last year with him playing, you know, slightly above average. So if they can get some better play out of him this year, even better. Obviously, a key part of that is going to be the people around him. And there's a lot of question marks, I feel like, for a team that went to the Super Bowl. There's a lot of question marks with this offense. First, we know Raheem Mostert's going to be good, but all the talk of camp is how good Jarek McKinnon has looked so far. Injured guys tend to get injured, Jeff. What do you expect from McKinnon this year? Yeah, I mean, it's a big question mark. He's been out for two seasons. Um, I mean, every report, even the offseason, even before camp, and now has been that he's looked fantastic. So, I mean, it, you're kind of just taking it day by day, hoping that he can stay healthy. I think he can bring something. I mean, I know, you know, Mostert's pretty good as a ball catcher out of the backfield. You know, Matt Breida, I think, came in the league not being much of a pass receiver in college. And he ended up being a pretty good pass catcher the last few years before he left. But I think McKinnon brings a whole nother level to the passing game out of the backfield. And Cal Shane's ability to either move him around and get the ball in space and scheme him open and, um, get the ball in his hands with some space. I think if he's healthy and close to 100%, that is just another weapon that he has. Kind of like what he did with Debo last year, where he had him, you know, end arounds and, you know, doing all sorts of different little things. I think he's kind of got that plan for McKinnon. Um, and so if he's healthy enough and, and can play the snaps, you know, I don't know how much more he's going to bring as, as a running back. I mean, we already got Tevin Coleman. Most was, you know, incredible at the end of last year. I mean, he'll get some touches, but I think where he'd really excel is, is going to be in the passing game. And that is sort of one of the facets of this offense that I think makes it so dangerous is that Kyle has sort of built it with interchangeable parts. That was sort of his goal, right? With Debo and Jalen Hurd, obviously, before he got hurt. He wants a bunch of guys that basically he can put anywhere and have them do anything on any play. Yeah, and he checks another example of that where, I mean, he's a fullback. He's a your third down back. He's lining up a tight end. He's out wide. He's in the slot. He pretty much lines up everywhere. And they're throwing the ball everywhere. So I think same type of thing. I and mean, Kittle in line can go up to slot. He got wide, you know, like, even like I said, very interchangeable. Um, you know, you might have Dino, Debo in the backfield. Um, it's just like, you know, like kind of that offensive weapon role label you see on certain players. They got a bunch of guys that can do that. Now Debo obviously is a bit of a question mark because we don't know when he's going to be back. Do you have any confidence in any wide receiver on this roster, not named Debo Samuel? <sighs> Well, that's not a good sign. <laughs> if Trent Taylor can stay healthy, I would say yes. Um, I mean, he was someone kind of when, you know, Jimmy's first year after the trade, those five games where they had the winning streak at the end of the year was kind of Jimmy's security blanket that year. Um, he had a great camp last year before he got hurt. So, and I think there's going to be some snaps in the slot open now that Jalen Hurd's out for the year. So um, he's a guy, I think that, you know, he and Jimmy have a connection there. And they can do get some production done, um, you know. Again, but he's missed an entire year. He had kept having setbacks with the foot. Foot's feet have been tricky for wide receivers, and hopefully, it's not an issue with Debo. But so I think that's one guy there. Um, you know, Brandon Ayuk has had a really good camp by all reports, but we haven't seen him. There's no preseason games. 
Um, so, you know, it, the reports are great, but it's hard to see it until he actually gets out on the field and does it. Um, you know, I mean, there's other guys, you know, Jawan Jennings. Um, I think he's a guy who's going to maybe try to fill some of that Jalen Hurd role where he's a big guy can run the slot, you know, really physical, not a lot of speed for him, but, you know, he, he forced 30 missed tackles last year, which was the most in the country by any wide receiver. So um, really physical guy once he gets the ball in his hands, line, pretty much lines up in the slot primarily. Um, so it's another guy there. And then, of course, you know, they've signed all these other guys, the Tavon Austin's, J.J. Nelson, Jerome Brown. I think for Austin, Nelson is trying to find a speed guy. Maybe they can stretch the field a little bit. And I think with these new rules of the practice squad, now that it's 16 guys and you now have six of those guys can be veterans that have been in the league year how many times, I think – Two things. One, with the lack of the OTAs and the shorter training camps and no preseason games, I think you're probably going to see a little more injuries than you have in the past. And then second, obviously, with the COVID-19, you know, you get people failing tests on it. You know, God forbid it turns into what, what baseball has been, where you get, you know, several guys failing tests and stuff. I think they're thinking is they want to have some veteran guys in the practice squad that can step in on a Sunday at the last moment if someone fails a test on a Friday or Saturday and, and contribute as opposed to you may get some division two guy on your practice squad that you really, really like, but you want to develop him, but he's not ready to play on a Sunday yet. You have a veteran guy who can step in, knows the playbook, knows the quarterback. It's not going to, you know, run the wrong route and cause an interception or something like that and have those guys. So, if, you know, Tavon Austin, JJ Nelson, Jerron Brown, if they don't make the roster, I think those are definite practice squad veteran candidates um, that they have just in their back pocket in case of emergency. Yeah, that's a good point because so much of the season comes down to injuries and, and how well you can keep your starters healthy. Now there's like this whole extra layer on top of it with the COVID-19 stuff. You got to overcome both of those challenges and also be really good. Yeah, and I, I think it's been amazing so far. It seems like for the most part, you know, there's you know, a couple of people on the COVID. I think there's less than 10 on the COVID list right now. Um, I don't remember the exact number, but I mean, they've been doing really well. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a long, you know, four or five month season and how – when you have, you know, 53 guys plus 16 more in a practice squad and coaches and staff and everything else, and you can't keep all those guys in a bubble. That hopefully um, they can they can keep this under wraps and, and not have any you know games where you get teams who are losing 15, 20 guys, et cetera, et cetera. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I want to ask one more question about the offense before we jump over to defense. George Kittle is great. He's my favorite 49ers player right now. They signed him to a, a, the best contract any tight end has ever gotten. My only thing with Kittle, I look and I say, for a guy that's as good as he is, he's never scored more than five touchdowns in a season. How can that be? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I know last year, I think he lost two or three in the first couple of weeks of the year. I remember that one Tampa Bay game where they had, I think they had three touchdowns called back and penalties at one point in that game. And then there was like one or two more the next week. So I think I think I want to I want to say he had, he had at least two and possibly three last year could get called back, um, but that is a good that is a good point. I mean he's I mean we had him as our highest graded player in the entire league last year um, at any position. I mean his numbers are off the chart. The yards after catch numbers are off the chart. Run blocking is ridiculous. I mean he's just to me the, the fifteen million was a bargain as far as I'm concerned because he's their number one pass catcher. So I mean he would. If you're his agent, you think he deserves number one wide receiver money right off the bat. But then he's such a dominant force in the running game as a blocker. And you saw it the couple weeks he was out against like that Seattle Monday night game where, you know, 
the offense just wasn't the same when he was out. And so it affects both the run and the passing, which, you know, the Julio Joneses of the world are not making much of an effect in your running game. And he's not Julio Jones as a pass catcher, but I mean, I just, to me, I, he deserved one right, number one wide receiver money. And unfortunately the tight end market is so kind of depressed where, I mean, the franchise tag, franchise tag was like 10.4 million this year. And I mean, Austin Hooper got a little bit more than that. So I think unfortunately there's, there's the argument I just made where he probably deserved 18 to 20 million really. And then where if the Niners really want to be jerks and play hardball, which you don't want to do because that's not going to go over well in the locker room. But, you know, they could have franchise tagged him at 10 point, whatever, you know, next couple of years also it goes up a little bit. And so I think the 15 ended up being the kind of the happy medium. But, um, I mean, as far as the value that he brings to the team, that's just, I mean, 15 million to me is a bargain. Yeah, I remember you mentioned the blocking. There was a couple of plays I can distinctly recall where, they just throw him in the backfield as a blocker. It was like a key play. The third down against the Rams late in the year, the deep bomb to Emmanuel Sanders. Kittle's in the backfield in yeah. that play as a blocker. Yeah, I mean, even as a pass protector, he's really good. And he's, like I said, you've seen that where he'll, he'll, stay, he'll put him in the backfield like a third and long, and they're going to throw it deep. And the, you know, I think that's back, especially when I think you know some of the offensive linemen were hurt too, that he was, he was helping to pass block more. But that's another thing he brings to the game too. I mean, he is the most well-rounded guy. I mean, I, he, he doesn't have a weakness. And I mean, I just – I still remember the one goal line block where he just like pancaked the dude and was like laying on the ground laughing afterwards. That was classic. <laughs> yeah, that is classic George Kittle for sure. I mean, that was the first 49er jersey I bought since I got a Frank Gore jersey. That was uh, that was like the gap between people. It's like, how can you not love Frank Gore? And then George Kittle, who's just I mean, he's like everything you would want as a as a team. He's a great all-around player and he's a character. He brings people in, fans into your team. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think he's a leader too, just by one, I mean, personality and just how physical he goes out there and plays the game. That was a question. You just reminded me of something. So Richard Sherman is the unquestioned leader of the defense. I feel like he's the, he's the old guy. Everyone's going to go talk to. He's going to keep everybody in line on the offensive side of the ball. Maybe that was Joe Staley last year, but he's gone. I'm wondering who that guy is going to be for the offense. Is it going to be Kittle? Cause I don't think it's Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think it is probably Kittle, and they kind of have that same kind of personality a bit. But I, I think it's probably be Kittle. I mean, I don't think I haven't, I don't know as much about Trent Williams from a personality standpoint, but I think he's just more of a get the job done guy. Um, you know, and I think, you know, Jimmy, I mean, Jimmy's a leader because he's the quarterback, but I don't think he's a very loud, you know, abrasive mm-hmm. guy. He's not the Dan Reno who's going to yell at every ball's receivers that, you know, are running wrong the wrong routes and stuff like that. So I think for someone who's kind of the leader and it kind of brings the emotional, you know, part of the game to it and gets everybody hyped up and stuff. It's, it's, it's probably him. I mean, the only other guy I could think of is almost maybe like Debo. He's kind of some guy who's just full of energy before the games. I mean, you've probably seen, I mean, he's run around the field and I mean, you know, high-fiving people on the sidelines of fans and stuff and playing catch with people in the stands and stuff like that. And just getting all hyped up. I mean, but I think it's, it'd probably be Kittle. Yeah, a little hard for a second-year guy to, to take yeah. that responsibility. Um, all right, let's go over to the defense now uh, because obviously the 49ers' defense was fantastic last season. We know this. But, you know, after the season's over, I start seeing things from PFF like basically all great defenses regress except one recent exception would be the, the Seahawks Legion of Boom who were just incredible all the time. Is this 49ers' defense good enough to avoid that regression or are they going to backslide a little bit? You know, I, I'd almost make a point that they are. They kind of regressed in a little bit in the second half last year, just because the first half there they put up some numbers that were just flat out ridiculous. I mean, you look back to 
Pittsburgh game, Mason Rudolph and, and Baker Mayfield. I mean, they just completely shut them down, like on hundred yards passing. And Aaron Rodgers had his worst game of his career. That one, I think it was a Thursday night game um, about midway through the year. Um, but I mean, you look at his, their first seven games, they had a pass rating allowed of just 63. And then the last nine, it was 102. Um, and I think a lot of that was one, I think it was some regressions because they're, they're putting up numbers that were so ridiculous that I said, you just can't keep those numbers up over a full 16 game season or year over year, like we're talking about. But yeah, I think losing D Ford hurt them quite a bit. And then, you know, his next guy in line is Ronald Blair. They lost him to an ACL. Um, DeMontre Moore came in, actually played two solid games and he got hurt. And so they were just so thin and yeah, at that other pass rusher on the other side, Nick Bosa, um, and I think that hurt, and you know, there was a couple they had a couple of other injuries in there. Quan Alexander was out for most of the year, um, so I think a lot of that, that was more health related. But um, so I don't, I don't, I think the defense is better than they were the second half of the year, and they did pick it up in the playoffs. The numbers were better in the postseason even against the competition they had. Um, I don't think they're going to be as dominant as we saw the first seven games last year. I think it's going to be somewhere in the middle. Like I, said, I think there'll be some a little bit of regression for those first seven games, but if they're healthy, they're not going to be. And I don't want to say he's back. They were still very good the last nine games, but it's probably somewhere in the middle there. The thing I look at is D Ford only played 22% of the snaps for them the entire year on defense. When he's there with Bosa, I mean, that defense is otherworldly. If they get anything more out of D Ford than they got last year, that could really help stop that backsliding. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, even that, and even when he played, I don't even think he was ever hundred percent last year. So if he's, if he's healthier this year, and even if he's, I mean, I consider he's probably just going to be a sub-package guy because they'll have Armstead at the end in base. But um, even if he's – at worst, he's just a situational pass rusher and is playing 35 40% of snaps. I mean, you get him and Bosa, who's – I mean, from all reports, sounds he's in better shape this year and is going to be better. And then you get Armstrad, Armstead and then Emil Kinlaw was a beast of a pass rusher at South Carolina last year. And those four guys um, rushing the passer, I mean, it, it's going to be dangerous. You brought up Kinlaw, so that's a perfect segue. It's very easy for everyone to say, oh, well, they traded Buckner, and with the pick they got for DeForest Buckner, they got Javon Kinlaw. We'll just plug him in there, and things will be fine. Will they be fine? And, and what do we expect from Javon Kinlaw? Is he more of a pass rusher than Buckner, or what What kind of style does he have? Um, I mean, I just look at his grading, you know, at South Carolina on our site. I mean, and he was very good against the run in the past, but he was – excelled as a pass rusher there um, by far. Um, you know, I think it's just, you know, I was a huge DeForest Buckner fan, you know, going back to Oregon, he was the guy I wanted the draft that year. Um, you know, obviously on his rookie deal, I think he was making about 4.6 million a year, tremendous value you're getting out of him. You know, at $21 million a year, as much as I love Buckner, I really don't think you're getting great value for that money. Um, just not, I mean, that's not a shot at him. It's just the positional value is him being an interior lineman. I mean, you know, maybe the only guy who's giving you value at 21 million is probably Aaron Donald in the league. Um, and so I think you have to, so then you have to look at, you know, and you said, you, you're talking about the Buckner to Kinlaw. So, you know, they, they trade Buckner, they get the pick, they take Kinlaw, you know, Kinlaw's making 4 million a year instead of 21 mm -hmm. and they have a fifth year option for him as well. Um, so yeah, he's not going to have Buckner's productivity probably, especially his rookie year. Um, I think it's going to be more of a by committee way of replacing him. And hopefully the DJ Jones injury isn't too serious. He's going to be one of those guys that can help kind of fill the, the need there. But um, I think if you're just looking at Kinlaw for $4 million a year versus Buckner 21, you got to take Kinlaw at four because this team has so much young talent 
And I think you have to look at all the guys who are free agents at the end of the year. I mean, literally their top four cornerbacks, um, you know, Sherman, Mosley, Witherspoon, Kwon Williams, who's an underrated guy in the slot, are all free agents at the end of the year. You know, they just had to get the Kittle deal done after this all happened. Trent Williams is a free agent at the end of the year. Um, Juszczyk, Kendrick Bourne, um, DJ Jones, or several, several other guys where, you know, you can't pay everybody. And, you know, they're going to have to extend Fred Warner at some point. Um, I think yeah, they just yeah. decided they probably looked out a few years and just said, there's some guys that are really going to want to keep, and we can't keep so-and-so if we're going to be paying DeForest Buckner as much as we love him, $21 million a year to play an interior lineman position. So, I mean, it was a hard decision for them to make. I think it was a very smart one. You hate to see someone go who not only was a tremendously productive player, was a workhorse. I think he had over 1,000 snaps out with one Chip Kelly year when the defense was on the field 80% of the time. Um, and I think he was a leader in the locker room and on that defense as well. Um, so, I mean, it, it, it's a big loss, but I think it just, in the long run, I think that was, that was a head you had to take to keep moving forward. And with, again, going back to COVID and the pandemic and, you know, the lack of revenue, I mean, the salary cap's going to be, you know, probably lower than they thought for the next few years. So that's another major factor into that decision as well. Yeah, John Lynch just did an interview where he said, basically, they were projecting it to be about 50 million more than what they think it's going to wow. end up being. So, yeah, that throws a little wrench into the plans for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Two more things I want to get to. One is Richard Sherman. You mentioned him. I try very hard to listen to PFF over what I see because I understand that, you know, the eyes can be very biased and he's someone that's graded highly uh, with PFF last year. And I think the year before too, when I watch him, I just worry every play, every time he's one-on-one -on -one with somebody, I get terrified and we saw it at the end of the NFC championship game with Devonte Adams. And we saw it in the super bowl with Sammy Watkins. He got burned. And I just, I don't want to get biased by those plays, but I look at those and say, how can he grade out as highly as he does when it seems like he can get burned deep whenever somebody wants to go deep on it? Yeah. I mean, obviously he doesn't have, I mean, he was never the fastest corner ever coming out of college, but I think he's probably obviously not quite as fast as he used to be just from, Achilles injury and everything else. I think he's, he's playing more. Um, I think just using his intelligence and, and, you know, and instincts, I think. Um, yeah. I mean, the number, I mean, the metrics he's put on our site and the grading, I mean, so he had 90.5 coverage grade on our site last year. Um, I mean, if you just go by like, you know, pass rating allowed, he's one of the top five guys in the league. Um, you know, yardage allowed yards per snap allowed. You know, all those things he was one of the, you know, like I said, one of the top five. Like, yeah, you know, he, the funny thing was he didn't allow a catch of 20 yards or more all season until the Super Bowl on the Sammy Watkins play. Um, so, yeah, I just, it was the same thing. It was like, you know, you know, it was just one of the things where like, you know, Garoppolo was great on the deep ball all year. And then when they needed him, he missed him. And so it was almost the opposite of Richard Sherman you know, didn't allow a deep catch all season long until the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl. Just one of those things where, I, you know, one of these plays goes different, they win. But, um, you know, I, yeah, I said we've graded him very highly. I mean, just from a grade standpoint, but even some of our just our stat metrics that we collect um, have showed him be pretty. And, and, you know, there's, there's context with that and stuff like that, too. Because, I mean, if, you know, if you're playing off a coverage guy and the guy did throw a quick screen to him and he, you know, and you make the tackle in six, seven yards, like in his, in our stats, he's giving up a catch for seven yards. 
Um, he, he won't get a negative grade for that because, I mean, there's nothing you can do really about that, but it's for a stat. So some of these stats, there's some context around it. But, I mean, as far as pass rating allowed and the number of coverage yards he gave up, and the, like he was one of the top corners in the league last year. So you're John Lynch. Richard Sherman's a free agent next year. You've got a lot of tough decisions. Are you going to re-sign him? And if you have a number in mind that you're not going over, what's that number? Uh, I mean, that's a really good question. Because I mean, we just had the conversation about how like the cap is, you know, Lynch saying it was 50 million less than they thought. Oh, man. I mean, if I would give him like, I don't know what the number would be, but it's like a two-year deal or, or something else where they can get out of it in two years um, without any, without any huge cap hit after that, because, you know, I mean, he's in his early, I believe he's in his early thirties off the top of my head. I'm looking that up, but um, he is going to be, he's 32. Um, so I mean, it, it, you give him two more years, that's 33, 34. I mean, at that point, I think, you know, he's probably ready to move to safety at that point, I think. Um, but I think you can maybe still get two, you know, very good to good years of him at corner. Um, and then maybe hopefully try to groom somebody else. I mean, the catch is, you know, if he wants a, you know, a ton of money more than he's getting now, then there's, you have the decision to make, because like, you know, we mentioned all these other corners that are free agents and just all the other decisions. I mean, they're not gonna be able to keep everybody. So do you lose somebody else that, you know, maybe not as not as good as Richard Sherman, but it's in his mid twenties. Mm-hmm. It might be some other position, you know, whether you know, I'm, you know, a DJ Jones or somebody like that, where you like the guy, he's young, he's going to be in the prime of his career because you decide to keep Richard Sherman, who's 33. And those are going to be the decisions they're really going to have to make with the salary cap not being as high as it's going to be. They thought it was going to be. Yeah, I'd, I'm definitely in the get rid of a guy a year too right. soon, rather than a year too, especially a corner, because I yeah. feel like that one year too late really can hurt you. Oh, yeah. Um, Jeff, I wanted to thank you so much for your time. You can follow Jeff on Twitter at PFF underscore Jeff. We appreciate you being a part of the Niners Nation podcast. No problem. Anytime. Our thanks again to Jeff for joining us. I want to give you a couple of thoughts because the 49ers have just wrapped up practice as I'm recording this. According to Jennifer Lee Chan of NBC Sports Bay Area, Eric Armstead was back participating in drills. And I have to tell you, that's a little bit of a relief for me. Look, the 49ers can say that injuries are minor. And I guess at this point of the year, a lot of them are. But when he keeps missing time with back stiffness and hasn't even really been playing, I start to get nervous. Back injuries are not the kind of things that get better over time. And if it's already an issue at this point in the year, I worry what it's going to be later in the year, week 10, week 11, week 12. So I'm glad Armstead was back out there. I'm sure he wasn't going 100% full bore, but at least he's well enough to be out there at the end of August. One other update, John Lynch was on KMBR and said that initial scans on nose tackle DJ Jones' shoulder were inconclusive. He's getting more tests today. That's not a good sign, right? That's not what you want to hear when you go for tests at the doctor to see if you have a major injury. You don't want to get back, well, we don't quite know. You want to get back, cancer? Get out of here, like that George Costanza line from Seinfeld back in the day. That's what you want. You want to know immediately that this is not a major injury. The fact that they don't know makes me clench up a little bit. Hopefully we get good news on that. But as I'm recording this, DJ Jones' shoulder, inconclusive right now. That's going to do it for me. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast today. Please like us, subscribe. A five-star rating would be absolutely awesome. If you've got any feedback at all, please leave a comment. We do read them. We will respond. If you're in California, please, please be safe. Be careful out there. And we'll talk soon.